Hello, my name is Philip Miraton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, the notion that we have lived past lives is a strange thought to the Western scientific mind. Under science, we learn that we are comprised of accumulated stardust, which at death returns to the dust. And that's it. There's no room for past lives, afterlives, or the soul, or any kind of spiritual essence that carries on after bodily death. But interestingly, about 20% of the American public believes in reincarnation. A greater percentage believes in the afterlife. And then there is uh, the whole body of Eastern religion, which is based in large part upon karma and reincarnation. So we could see here a conflict between the scientific paradigm of materialism which teaches that everything is a particle, and maybe the Eastern paradigm, which says that spirit or mind is primary. So if we suppose that the root of reality is not a thing but a mind, we start finding a way to make sense of things like reincarnation. For example, we can envision here a slow-moving spiritual wave generating forms through time, throwing off the ones that no longer work, and trying on new ones for size. So let's suppose we have lived past lives. How do we access them, and what can they teach us? And that's the topic for today, Past Lives Remembered. My guest to talk about this fascinating topic is Joanne DiMaggio. She's a member of the International Association for Regression Research and Therapy, therapy. She has a master's in transpersonal studies and a spiritual mentor certification through Atlantic University. She's the author of two books uh, on soul writing. Her first one was entitled Soul Writing, Conversing with Your Higher Self, and her new book is entitled Your Soul Remembers, Accessing Your Past Lives Through Soul Writing. Welcome to the show, Joanne. Thank you, Philip. I'm glad to be here. Okay, well, thanks a lot for joining us and to talk about this really intriguing topic of accessing past lives. Now, let's start things off by asking a question that I think probably a lot of people might have, which is how did you get started in exploring this notion of past lives? Well, I was uh, you know, born and raised Catholic, and a lot of the um, questions that I had were not fully answered through that through my religious upbringing. And so, as a teenager, I started to read books by Jess Stern and Ruth Montgomery, and then I started to read about Edgar Casey. 
And I also read uh, The Search for Bridie Murphy, which was the first reincarnation book I had ever encountered. And that piqued my curiosity. That seemed to make a lot more sense to me about a, a, a just and, and a God who, in a balanced universe, uh, that operated from the um, perspective of karma rather than sin. Uh, so that that was really curious to me. And I had a lot of experiences as a child that I couldn't explain, uh, really tendencies leaning toward uh, another time period that made no sense to me. And so um, as I grew older, uh, I was exploring this on and off, but not very seriously until 1987 when Shirley MacLaine's Out on the Limb became a miniseries. And that rekindled my interest in esoteric studies. And from there, I just um, pursued it with a passion. Now, it's amazing how many, how many people on this show, including me, were raised as Catholic, and some, and some other door opens in their lives, and they find some different way to experience spirituality. And, you know, you made a, a very interesting contrast there between sin and karma. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, that is a really... A really uh, unique contrast. I never I never really thought of it that way. And let's let's explore that for just a second here. And why don't you talk about what contrast you see and what that contrast means for you? Well, with sin, you know, we were always taught that if we went into the confessional, we could confess anything, we would be given penance and it would be forgiven and that would be the end of it. Karma is not like that. Karma is the law of cause and effect. So you are responsible for every thought, word, and deed that you have. It's recorded somewhere. And um, it's, it's not, I wouldn't call it payback exactly, but it's a system of, of balance. The universe operates in a, in a very balanced way. And with karma, whatever you do, uh, you reap what you sow, basically. So um, it's not so much being able to just say, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I've done this. Uh, okay, go say ten our fathers and ten hail marys, and it'll be okay. Yeah. This this does this this holds you to it, um, and it, it's something that will come around in your life, in in your current life, or in a subsequent life. But somehow, some way, uh, you will have to account for what you've done, or thought, said. So it's a perfectly balanced, logical uh, way of operating the universe, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, it's funny because as as you were describing karma, you, of course, referred to a famous saying from, I'm going to say the New Testament, uh, you know, as ye sow, so shall ye reap. And, and it's funny because it could be that the original intent of the authors of the Bible was more karma karmatic in in flavor than than this notion of original sin which if my memory serves me correct correctly got tacked on by later interpreters of the bible or the garden of eden or whatever but but karma is something that all of us all of us i think know in our hearts is probably true whether whether you read about it or not i mean we all have this notion of fate and of something that, you know, uh, p- and payback is really a, may- maybe a direct 
blunt way to put it, but in some ways there's a it's a you know it's a long payback. And I've always felt that it's better to believe that karma is true than not true. Right, and karma does not necessarily have to be a bad thing. Some yeah. people assume always that it's punishment of some sort. It's yeah. not. It could be a very good thing. Yes. You know, you I think of uh, having a, a some sort of a, a like a bank account in which you can deposit um, positive traits and and uh, accomplishments just as much as you can something that's that's negative or a behavior pattern yeah. but you can have talents and skills that you that you have brought with you into this life as the result of something that you've done in a positive vein in a previous lifetime yeah I think that uh, e- Emmanuel Kunzelman who was a guest about a year ago who's the head of Greenheart Transforms he has an article he wrote called uh, I think it's called healing the karmic field or something like that where he talks about this very notion of sort of putting putting karma credit into the karma bank and not just viewing it as a negative thing and uh, and so you know it's a it's it's really it's really a fascinating a fascinating topic that i i think does really point to not only a innate truth about it but I think it points to this notion that we are riding the spiritual crest I mean I like to talk on this show a lot about you know switching your mindset from from viewing us as random uh, outgrowths of the Big Bang to being to being part of a spiritual creation and you know it sounds crazy to some people but but I happen to think that it ha- it explains more. And when you do that, and when you and when you do it with a open, consistent mindset, things like karma start making sense. And for someone like you that spent a lot of your life exploring this, you know, I think it gives this notion of past lives some credibility. Right. Well, you know, we are we are really physical. We are really spiritual beings inhabiting physical bodies. Right. Not the not the other way around. Right. So, um, you know, and and this whole journey that our souls have taken from the time that we first were created is all coming to the Earth School to learn lessons, and you can't possibly do that in, in the course of one year of one lifetime, rather. So, um, so that it makes a lot of sense to me that uh, that we would over the millennia. We experience different bodies and and different nationalities and be both sexes and you know be poor and rich and and be sickly and healthy and just all these extreme extraordinary experiences within a physical body uh, that that we can come to this this plane of existence and experience. Yeah, you know we're sort of getting uh, um, ahead of ourselves a little bit, but I but. While you raise that topic, I want to make this point that this is where I part company. This is my own personal viewpoint here. This is where I part company with reincarnation. And that is, I don't think that the that the end goal or the end game is to continue throwing off physical bodies. I think the end game is to master the game of life, both spiritually and physically. 
And therefore, I do think uh, Im immortality is possible physically. I mean, so I'm I'm a real crazy person on that score, <laughs> but but I but I think that that is see, I, and I think that the notion of reincarnation is like a stage in understanding that. See, and so I, so that's the way I would view it because otherwise, you know, what's the point? Um, and frankly we're going to have some time to explore that on this show because we're going to get into the the um the the proof i guess or the evidence for reincarnation a little bit so let's let's go back a little bit to to your own sort of development from catholicism to being a past life researcher and instructor what what was it that sort of kept you going down this path? I mean, you talked about sort of being inspired by um, Edgar Casey and the Shirley MacLaine show and karma, but was there something that that struck you at some point in your life where you said, you know, this thing about past lives is real? Mm-hmm. Well. Um that would take a while to explain, but if I could do it briefly, I had several experiences as a child. Uh, when I was nine years old, I wanted to create a secret code, and I sat underneath the sink in the bathroom, and I did a prayer, closed my eyes, had a pe pen and paper, and uh, I was getting these little figures. And 25 years later, I'm in a calligraphy class, and they're teaching the history of handwriting, and turns out that those little figures that I had gotten in that meditative state at the age of nine was actually the Phoenician alphabet, yeah. dating from 1000 B.C. Wow. So that was something. Um, yeah. My interest in 18th century American history was all through my elementary school into high school. When I got into college, I had a professor tell me I had the most uncanny feel for the 18th century of any student he ever had. Uh, and then when I in adulthood... Um, I was listening to a subliminal writer's tape because I, my background's in advertising and public relations. I used to work in the Chicago media market. And, um, and so I wanted to be a, a better writer. And, uh, and so I was listening to this uh, hypnosis tape on, on called Start Writing Now. And as I'm listening to it, the, the person on the tape is saying, well, now picture yourself in a movie, a create a mental movie, see yourself writing. And when he did that, I saw this woman coming down the stairs, long, dark hair, white little uh, cap on her head, white shift, sat down at a table, uh, a desk, pulled out a piece of paper, pulled out a pen, and started writing. And as she was writing, I was writing, and they were actually diary entries from the 18th century. Wow. And so those three, um, those three events in my own life were, uh, were, they just stunned me. Uh, and I didn't understand what that was. What is this all about? So um, that's what got my curiosity up. Um, it took me a long time to put two and two together to even consider that any of this was past life related. Um, but then when I did, it really became a passion for me, and I started to read as much as I possibly could read. I formed my own past life organization in, um, in Naperville, Illinois, and um, you know had all of the experts in the field uh, coming to my organization to give presentations, and so I talked to them, studied with them, 
uh, and uh, then became a, hip, a certified uh, hypnotherapist myself uh, and started to do the work, um, uh, do the regressions uh, uh, as well as writing about it. So um, that's sort of the path that I've taken. Well, that's, I mean, it seems to me that you combine at least two uh, characteristics which I think are unique. First of all, you had these personal experiences which sound like they were compelling and they and just in your describing them your short descriptions they do sound like something that would have a pretty deep effect on somebody but then but then you you have a academic background so that you're just not taking these things at face value right i mean you you've actually you've actually studied you actually studied this now uh, just one second this is philip mirton this is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Joanne DiMaggio, the author of the new book, Your Soul Remembers, Accessing Your Past Lives Through Soul Writing. And we're about to start talking here about what soul writing is. But, but Joanne, I wanted to um, have you uh, address the point I, I made a, a second ago, which is that, you know, in our modern era, it's so important to be credible mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how do you how do you address that issue with with your field well that's very difficult um, I think that uh, dr. Brian Weiss did a great service to those in this field because uh, when somebody uh, has an experience and then they talk about it uh, someone with the credentials that he did to be a medical doctor psychiatrist you know coming on writing a book, and I think it was on Oprah the first time I saw him, talking about um, this, you know, his own experience with regression and how, you know, he didn't necessarily believe in this in the beginning either. Um, so there are people that are in the field that are, are, are doing this work that are having these extraordinary experiences in, in the privacy of an office with, a, you know, it's, it's the, the client-therapist relationship. Uh, in which this is happening, and um, and yes, people do like to see initials after your name. Uh, you know, I have my certifications up on my wall and my my degrees up on my wall and everything like that. Um, I consider this sacred work. I really do, and um, and I I do caution people to be very careful about who they work with because some people just take a weekend. A hypnotherapy course and hang out their shingle and then um, but they have had no experience in in the field I not only have studied it talked to, to leading experts in the field but I've also undergone the process I have also explored my own past lives and so I can relate very easily to the people who come to me um, so it is um, some people call it even in my my office, I, I have an office uh, with the Unity um, Holistic Healing Center here in Charlottesville, and um, some of our other practitioners refer to the work that I do and some of the others in the office as woo-woo, because yeah. uh, we're still on the fringe compared to the other healing modalities that, that are out there today. Well, there's nothing like having an open mind and going where your heart and mind takes you. The, the When you were talking about about your past life's experiences. I mean, one of the the connections I would make that is not too far removed from this notion of past lives is is what is called the language instinct. 
And there is a book by that title by Steven Pink Pinker, who's very famous for writing books about the mind and and uh, speech and how the brain works and all that kind of stuff. But the language instinct is basically this. I think it's a scientific fact that that young children they learn the language whatever language it is let's take Chinese they learn it a lot faster than than somebody who is older and have to go through the the indoctrination there is something about this carryover from generation to generation uh, of of the ability to learn language and I that that's always struck me as an odd fact because it seems so apparent and if that's the case then there then there's some way that something as ephemeral as a language passes passes on through generations and frankly I don't think there's that big of a gap between that the language instinct and past lives because they both have this notion of something being carried forward across generations yeah, but you're not. The thing about past lives is that you're very seldom. Um, it, it's not a um, generational thing. You, you don't always reincarnate in the same family, so yeah. that cellular memory wouldn't necessarily be there. Um, and it, and also with with reincarnation, there's many many books out there about the past lives of children. The children up until the age of about five will say extraordinary things to their parents about remembering a previous lifetime. Uh, and then about the age of five, it starts to fade. And, of course, then they get indoctrinated into our Western society, and, uh, you know, sometimes, most of them don't even think about it after that. Um, so there there might be some correlation there. Um, yeah, but as far as, um, you know, generations before you, you know, uh, you don't always incarnate in the same family. You don't incarnate in the same country. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a whole different body that you're in. I mean, I'm not saying that you don't, that there aren't soul families in which you come back in a family, but you change roles. You might be the father one time, you might be the husband the next time, or the mother or the sister or whatever. Um, so, but the fact that, you know, we, we don't necessarily come back always to the same family, um, uh, you know, so that, that yeah, continuity yeah. wouldn't necessarily fit this. Well, I think I think that that's going to be that. That to me is the big question on reincarnation, and on and with regard to the language uh, uh, example, I just want to uh, say that I would take a more radical interpretation. I think that it is. I don't think that it's a cellular or a DNA coded. I think that it is. It's part of the the one spirit that is carried forward. I mean, I don't think that it's it's generational. I, I just think that it's it's part of the the knowledge bank of the mind. That's the mm -hmm. way I would view it. So, so, but here here's my you know, I love the concept of reincarnation. I think it's really really interesting. But my my issue with reincarnation there's and some people might might. Um, have the same point is that is this whole notion of a one-to-one -one correlation which is which is how how can somebody uh, let's say they they remember past life from the 13th century 
which in your book you have folks that go back that far and farther. Right. How can the quote-unquote soul, which every, which most people associate as being something that's disembodied or that's 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 a uh, formless, how can this 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 soul correlate uh, to another precise form? How can it? This is what I don't understand. How how do you address that that point, the one to one correlation issue? How can one person in the twenty first century? How can that person's soul be so precisely coordinate, correlated with a person's soul hundreds of years earlier? Oh, that's How, easy. That's it's the same soul. Okay, it's so not a different soul. So. So this is this is what I don't understand about th- and this is this is reincarnation generally. This is the, this is my issue with, with reincarnation. I could understand how a how when a person dies, the physical body goes away, and the and the spiritual essence gets submerged into a big pool of spirit. What I don't understand is how that same soul that arises out of this pool of spirit and gets gets plopped into a, a another um, unique body such that it's such that the exact same soul is now in two separate bodies this is what I don't understand but it's not in two separate bodies because the first body no longer exists okay it's in a new body what what happens is that I uh, think uh, when your soul leaves your body, when the, when your body is a vehicle, it's, it's, it's designed to take you from point A to point B. Right. When the soul leaves the body, it goes to wherever you want to think it goes to, if you want to believe it's heaven or the spirit world or whatever, um, and then reviews that lifetime. It, it's almost like um, going in front of your guidance counselors at, you know, at school and going, okay, I just finished this life, let's see, hmm, I didn't get this this whole issue about responsibility, I, I just sort of failed that course. Okay, I, I think I'm going to work on that again. Or looking back, oh, a couple lifetimes ago, um, I, I had an issue of abandonment, and I really didn't finish that, that, I didn't resolve that issue, I didn't fully complete that lesson. And so then you wait, the, the soul waits, and, and I believe souls choose their parents, because you choose the opportunity, the life that's going to give you the most opportunity for growth the most opportunity to learn whatever lesson that you decided you're going to learn. And then the soul returns into a family, into a body that's going to allow them to, to learn that lesson and then to move on, to move forward. So it's, um, it, I equate the earth as a school and that we're all here to learn. And the lessons that we're working on are part of our curriculum. You know, some of us are in kindergarten still, and some of us are are getting our PhDs. Uh, And then eventually you've completed the entire educational process, and uh, there's not a need for you to to come back into the physical form uh, in the earth plane again. Well, I I follow all that. I I love the metaphor of the earth being a school. I think that that is really good, and I, I, I agree with that. But... At, but a couple a couple questions arise there, which is it, it's very similar to uh, Hinduism, where once you reach this state of nirvana, 
the idea is is that you no longer have a need for the physical body and you return to spirit is that the same is that it's, your it's the same it, it's um you know basically we we're all created at the same time we're all sparks of our creator and that we decided that you know we want we did not know what it was like to be uh in a in a physical body and and coming into the earth uh we you know got it got kind of stuck into matter and and evolved and and decided okay well you know there's all kinds of things for us to experience here and and we're just going to keep coming back and coming back until we we finished experiencing everything there is to experience and then we go back we're going to go back home and back to our creator back to our spiritual home so the irony is that well all of us are going to you know trying to get back to where we started from well you see that uh, yeah, yeah yeah so that's that's what this that's what these cycles are are all about it's that that yearning that yearning to be back to to the creator to this, our source um, and so we just continue uh, through you know consecutive lifetimes experiencing all that we can here um, and then and then at some point returning I think Edgar Casey of the 2000 and something life readings that he gave uh, he gave four, over 14,000 readings during his lifetime but most of those were health readings but he gave over 2,000 life readings, and out of those, I think there were just a handful of souls that he said don't have to come back again. So it's not a, um, not exactly an everyday occurrence, but it does. It that that is the ultimate goal. Yeah, I I tell you, I just do not go down that path because well, first of all, it raises the question: What's the purpose of the physical universe? What's the purpose of it? I mean, basically, and this is this is where I part company with. The folks who, who go down to who uh, take that view of nirvana is like, it's it's like it's all this whole thing is to go back into un- undifferentiated spirit. Uh, see, that's where I think my I just have a real problem with that. I don't think that is correct. I, I think that I like your Earth School, your Earth School idea. That's why I follow it because I really do think that the purpose is to master the physical realm. But you know. You're not here to agree with me. Let me put it that way. Yeah. I don't expect you to agree with me. All I'm saying is that this is no fun if I agree with everything you said anyways, but or vice versa for that matter. But I just think that this is, you know, it's just, it's just a strange, it's just a strange thing um, because there's so much truth to this, no, to this idea that our soul um, that our soul has to improve. I mean, and because what you're really saying, I think, Joanne, is that we are really souls. Our essence is soul is a soul, right? It's a it's like, a spiritual spiritual, spiritual essence, beings, right. spiritual essence. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so our our task is to improve, develop our souls. No, see, I think our souls okay. are already perfect. Pardon? That, that, okay, that isn't it. I okay. I don't. Uh, it's it's experiencing the soul is experiencing what it is like to be in the in the physical soul is not physical so this is a a whole new experience for it so it's not that the soul is trying to attain perfection because it already is perfect it, it came from a you know perfect source so how could it be anything less than perfect um, it's just that there's a lot you can learn, you know, from the past to enable your pre- your present. You know, you've 
you form patterns over centuries that can be changed. There's wisdom that can be gained over the ages that you can incorporate, you know, into your daily life. And lessons that you learned before, you know, need not be repeated again. But just understanding where you've been and the choices you've made in the past and the experiences that are storehoused in your soul just gives you a really unique perspective on who you are today and why you've chosen the challenges that you're facing. So, you know, this understanding more than anything, I think, gives you gives you a certain amount of freedom. You know, you know why your life is the way it is, and, you know, you come to see what changes you could make to, you know, to heal the, heal the past and, and move on. That's a that's a, a a very interesting um, view of that. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Joanne DiMaggio, the author the author of Your Soul Remembers: Accessing Your Past Lives Through Soul Writing. Now let's talk about soul writing for a second because you've done a lot of work on this, and this this is really what your this is really your your contribution to this field if I if I understand this which I think is really cool now for those who don't know what is soul writing the easiest way to explain soul writing is that it is a written form of meditation so in a, when in, for those who have, of your uh, listeners who are meditators you know that you go into an altered state you get very relaxed just do some deep breathing get into this uh, altered state of consciousness and you stay in this place of silence and listen to that inner voice of yours giving you some guidance. This is the same thing, except that instead of just listening and trying to remember some of the profound uh, breakthroughs that you get in a meditative state, this is actually uh, comp- putting it out on paper. So the information is coming from above. It's, it's, it's a, d- a connection to the divine and uh, you're, you're in this altered state, you're asking for guidance, you can ask questions on any topic, the information, the guidance is coming from above, whether you believe that's God, your angels, your higher self, uh, your spirit guides, whatever, whatever you're comfortable with believing, that's fine. It's coming from a higher place of consciousness, and it's coming through you, uh, through your soul, out your arm, in your hand, and onto the, onto the paper. But you could also do it, you know, on a, on a computer if you prefer, but... Um, I prefer to do it by hand. So it's just accessing information through writing from a higher source that's emanating from your soul, and it provides a much more profound perspective, a deeper understanding of why uh, things are the way they are. Is is it something that anybody can do? Absolutely. It's something anyone can do. With practice, most people get something on their first try, but with practice um, you could get get whole paragraphs some people in the beginning, they'll just get loops. You know, the pen will move freely, and they'll just get L's or E's or M's. And out of that will come a word, and out of that will come a sentence, and out of that will come paragraph upon paragraph. It's a stream of consciousness writing. So, um, uh, and when I've conducted workshops, people have had uh, incredible messages, some of them the first time out, things that you normally would never write in a conscious state. The writing is completely different. Than, uh, than your normal. And I know because I was a commercial copywriter, and what I write for a client when I, had, when I was in that field was completely different than what I write when I'm in an altered state. And, you know, over the centuries, there have been many famous uh, writers who have tried to explain what this is all about in terms of 
you know, w- what is the source of inspiration. So, um, you know, uh, Mozart, even composers have, have talked about where where is this coming from? Where is this unseen source of uh, inspiration coming from? But it just takes your work to a whole other level, much higher level. Yeah, there's no doubt that probably the majority of great artistic works were inspired by some higher source. At least the authors will tell you that. I mean, the, the uh, even even scientific uh, discoveries in many mm-hmm. instances are attributed to a higher source. With regard to soul writing, is there? You said it's like it's like writing when you're meditating. Mm-hmm. Is there something that is distinguishable between soul writing that goes into past lives and ju- and other kinds of soul writing no it's the same process uh and it's just that you're you're focusing in on some other uh aspect you can ask a question um edgar casey had a lot of readings that he gave and people were asking him about this writing of course then they were asking about automatic writing that's the more well-known term for it, but it is not the same thing by any means. There's a difference between the two. And Casey called it inspirational writing. I changed it to soul writing because when I was doing my research, I typed inspirational writing into Amazon.com, and all the, these Christian genre books came popping up. When I typed uh, automatic writing in, all books from the occult came up. Hmm. And I knew that this was neither definition of what Casey had in mind. Um, so, But then again, Mr. Casey was doing his readings in the you know 20s and 30s and 40s, right. and so that term inspirational writing was sort of hijacked by the Christian genre, and um, so I thought, well, I'll call it something else, and so I thought about it, and I thought, well, it's coming through your soul, so I, I started calling it soul writing. I see. So, okay, so if you want to do soul writing and access past lives it's something like you have to, you have to get into the right frame of mind this meditative this meditative state mm-hmm. and you called it now is that is that different than an altered state of consciousness or is the meditative state the same thing it's the same thing okay it's the same thing okay so you so you're in this right um, state of mind and i know in the end of your book you you give some practical tips on how to do that so i'm not going to mm-hmm ask you to recite all the all the all the tips although I do want to make sure we cover the basics in case somebody wants to give it a, a shot here a try and I might even try it but then when you when you're in this right state of mind then it then you ask the question you say you say tell me about or what was I in the 16th century or what or tell me about well, a past life yeah. or, when I did my research project, I had 50 volunteers, and so what I did with them was I actually did a re- regression with them. And I said, let your soul take you to the lifetime that is most impacting you today. And by the way, none of them went to the lifetime they thought they were going to. Yeah. They were all surprised that they went someplace else. Yeah. The soul writing portion came at the end of that regression. While they were still in an altered state of consciousness, I brought them up partially, put, a, put the pen in their hand, the paper on their lap, and I said, ask your soul if there's any additional information about that lifetime that you did not get in the regression. What can it tell you that, that, that you don't already know? And that's when they would do the writing, and I would simultaneously write with them. I would connect to my source and say, 
there any information I can get on, you know, Sarah's behalf, say. And so they would do the writing, I would do the writing, then we would both read it. If you were doing it on your own and you weren't actually doing the regression part ahead of time, you can ask that same question. You know, um, you could ask, uh, uh, what can you tell me about the lifetime that's most impacting me today? And then, um, and then, you know, put the pen down and then wait for the answer. Um, but I always did it right after the regression. So it wasn't a kind of a standalone. Although when I did the um, the start writing now, when I was listening to that subliminal writer's tape, and I was getting diary entries from the 18th century, that wasn't something I did uh, after a regression. That was simply something that was coming out. So you can ask any question you want, um, or you can do something very generic and just say, you know, is there any information you feel that I need at this time, and then see what see what it says. Okay. okay, so so you've had enough experience doing this so that you could sort of chime in uh, by, as you said, accessing the source to to learn more about the the um, the client, right? Past right. life, about because their, I thought, about, their, about their life. I, think, right. I thought that was very impressive uh, in your book the way you were able to do that. Now. You address this in your book, but it's it's a natural question that I'm sure listeners would have, which is, as you're doing this, as anybody, whether it's you or, or somebody trying their hand at soul writing, how do you distinguish between the real and the imaginary? In other, words, in other words, how do you know when you're writing it, it during this meditative state, how do you know that your imagination has just not taken hold of you as opposed to actually writing about a past life? Well, because when you're actually doing the writing, it, it's um, the information is coming from within. You're in a meditative state. You have total awareness of what you're writing. You're allowing the writing to just, con- you know, to, you're consciously watching the writing proceed. Your handwriting is the same, and you've done a prayer of protection, so you've surrounded yourself with white light to make sure that, you know, no outside influences are going to be um, impacting you. Um, and the question you raise, you know, how does it feel when you're done doing the right, when you go back and you read it? Do you resonate to what you wrote? Is there any semblance of truth in it? Does it hit a chord deep within you? Uh, and so I, I really haven't had a case of anybody asking me after a writing session if it was imagination, but they have asked me that after the regression. That's a very common question. You know, is it real or is it Memorex? As I, yeah. I <laughs> but, um, you know, that, so, um, because they don't necessarily know ahead of time what's, they, they may know a few words ahead what's coming, but they don't know the full picture of what's of what's going to come out so it's like you know when you're using your imagination and you're writing a story you're conscious you're consciously writing that imagination right. is conscious consciously coming through you um so imagination versus inspiration that's kind of what we're talking about here so yeah. this is definitely on the inspiration side yeah it's it's like a, a power greater than your own little self is taking control of the pen R- right it's it's uh you would never write something like that in a conscious state. For instance, when I was asking a question about what is the difference between universal laws and the Ten Commandments, I ended up with a two-week 
course hmm. uh, uh, about what the difference was. But one of the first things that was written um, was, it, and I, I wrote this in the middle of the message, uh, it, it wrote, um, I, I wrote, um, there is no universal law that begins, thou shalt not. Hmm. Now, in a conscious state, I never, ever would have thought of that. I never right. would have come up with that. So when, when you get something like that, it stops you dead in your tracks, and you go back, and your eyes are huge, and you're rereading it like, what is this? Yeah. Who wrote this? You know, I would, I didn't write this, but you did write it. So, um, so it's a very fascinating, uh, profound experience for people. Yeah, I, I think that it's, it sounds like it sounds like something that would be uh, eye-opening because it it shows that there is a window to another world if you uh, give yourself the chance to access it. Mm-hmm. It you've. You've worked with a lot of people in past life regressions and the soul writing. Could you maybe just describe one example that that stands out to you or to, to help the listener maybe understand how this works? Sure, sure. Actually, it's one of the first ones in the book. Um, I had worked with uh, <clears throat> a man who is a uh, author himself, uh, a teacher, um, owned his own publishing company at one point, and um, we, we were friends, and he lives here in Charlottesville, and so um, I initially didn't want to work with him because I thought, well, this is not a level playing field because he practically has written the book about conversations with the other side. He's done it a lot. Actually, he was a, a great influence on me, uh, a book that he wrote called uh, Chasing Smallwood, which was uh, actually him having a conversation with the past life aspect of himself. But he wanted to do this session with me, and I, I agreed. So he went back to a life, uh, his name was Cleo. It was um, 79 AD, he was in Pompeii. And Cleo, what, the way he described Cleo, was he was uh, in his late teens, early 20s. He was being trained to be a diviner in fire, meaning he could was being trained to look in the fire and to see the future. And, um, and he was a very arrogant young man. Uh, the people in, in Pompeii, you know, didn't believe anything that he said because they just thought his ego was just so huge and they weren't going to listen to him. So when he saw in the fire that Vesuvius was going to erupt and it was going to destroy Pompeii, he tried to convince everybody to leave. They did not leave. Uh, and and he was filled with guilt because he realized that had he been more humble, people would have believed him and they would have left. So he decided to, you know, he could have gotten out, but he decided, no, I'm going to die with all of them. Went into a cave, uh, suffocated from the gas and the ash. Now, that was 79 A.D. He is now, the regression was done in 2011, so we're 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years in the future. And um, so we did the regression, and we did the soul writing, but it was in the soul writing session in which he wrote, uh, asthma the result of seared lungs, question mark. What I didn't know about him was that he was suffering. He's been suffering from, with asthma for, mm-hmm. for years and years and years. Um, he then, through the soul writing, made the connection that the asthma was a symptom uh, from, the, from the Pompeii life to remind him in this life don't don't make the same mistake you made back then. Make sure that people believe you. Don't be arrogant. Don't get your ego uh, too big because you need to be believed in order for your for people to understand your teachings. 
And so after that regression and that soul writing session, the asthma disappeared. Yeah. And he, and he never had it again. It was the first case of spontaneous healing that I had ever experienced, although I had heard about it from other past life therapists. I had never experienced it in my own practice. So that really stood out in my in my memory of uh, of all the uh the 50 regressions, soul writing sessions that I did for this project. Well, that's, that's, that is something else. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Joanne DiMaggio, the author of the new book, Your Soul Remembers. We're talking about soul writing as a way to connect with, with your past lives and to access this higher source of inspiration. Now, one of the one of the things that also is i think a common question here is what kind of work if any do you or or others in your field do about about testing the historical accuracy of some of these past life regressions i don't personally spend the time to validate um i that's something i my clients do on their own. I see. Um, if they feel that that's something they need to do, I had I one woman who talked about her entire family dying in a uh, uh, plague of some sort, and uh, she had the year. She knew she was in England, and that one I did look up, and sure enough, uh, exactly what she was talking about in her regression was was historical fact. Uh, I had another man who kept talking about a town, he said, said the name of the town was Weston, and um, he said, I don't, when he came out of the, uh, the session, he said, I don't know any Weston, I, I, I've i never heard of that before, and so we did a little digging, and sure enough, we found Weston, Texas, which was described basically the exact way that he described it, and I had another woman who remembered being in a monastery in Tuscany in the 1600s, and lo and behold, that she described it to me in great detail about what what it looked like, and went on. She then did some research, went online, and uh, found the uh, exact. The monastery still exists. It's uh, and it looks exactly the way she described it. So some of them are doing that. Others don't need to do that because it's not that important to them. Uh, the The lesson that they learn, if they can identify a behavior pattern from the past that they have now. It's more important to address that than whether or not this is historically accurate. Yeah, most yeah. people most people are just Jane Doe's. You know, they're they're not they're not anybody famous. So trying to trying to um, actually find you know the existence of that particular person is problematic. It, it's you know, and I don't have that many. Uh, I've had I know some people who have had famous past lives. But generally, most people are very have very ordinary, uh, nondescript uh, lifetimes. So yeah, um, one of the things that comes across in your book with the past lives is a lot of people live some pretty nasty, short lives. I mean, I remember when I was reading, I was thinking, I think it was Thomas Hobbes that said something like that: life is nasty, brutish, and short. And in that era, I think he wrote that in about the 16th century or so. You know, mm-hmm. it, things th- things were not exactly a bed of roses uh, no. back in the back in the in the uh, olden times. If you look at the uh, you know the ex- the expected uh, lifespans and health and food and shelter, 
Right. It, it is. It's, uh, it's you know, I had amazing. that group from the 13th century. All of those, the the three of them, were all afraid of these marauding, invading soldiers coming in, yeah. and they all. You know, and they those three people did not know each other, and yet they all described the same time period, basically the same location, worried about, you know, oh, you know, these guys are going to come in and they're going to rape and kill and, and all this. And so, yeah, and then I have people that were healers who went back to lifetimes in which they were healers before, and they were persecuted. They were, they were killed uh, because they knew how to mix certain herbs. Yeah. Uh, and so in this lifetime, they're healers again, but there's that there's that hesitancy, there's that resistance to totally embrace this this talent and ability because they're you know they've got this karmic memory of oh the last time I did this it did not end well for yeah, me. Yes. So that that goes on quite a bit. Yeah. Now you touched upon it, but I I want to to f- summarize here what you think uh, we can learn. From the past lives, and I know you you mentioned it, it 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 passing a little bit, but I like. But what what can somebody learn through soul writing and past life regression? I think that accessing the knowledge is the birthright of every soul, and you know you awaken, you integrate those memories of the past into your present, and it's really your passport to a a much happier, more empowered life in the here and now. So it's really, you know, you are the sum total of everyone you've been before. Um, Every race, every nationality, um, both sexes, um, you've experienced it all. And really, um, you know, applying that to the here and now, gives you a greater understanding of who you are and how you fit into this universe of ours. Well, I and, think it would, yeah, I think it would also, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. Go no, ahead. no, I was going to say, I think it also would, to to the extent somebody um, buys into this and, and, and learns from it, it also shows that your, your premise and the premise of many other thinkers, by the way, uh, such as I think Pierre Del Chardin, who invented it, which was which is that we are really we're not physical beings having spiritual experiences, but spiritual beings having physical experiences. That that in fact is true, which I think is a big lesson. Mm-hmm. It's a big lesson to to uh, realize that indeed, despite what certain scientists may say, we are at our essence a spiritual being. Now, now, the it raises the question to me, though, of determinism, and you know, you know, it sounds in a, this. This might be, it might be a, a um, difficult question, but it when I was reading this, in the modern mindset in genetics. There's a school of thought that says we're determined by our genes. And it's not a radical school of thought. It's, it's a pretty big school of thought. Well, are we determined by our past lives? Or do we have any freedom? And, and can you address that? That's Sure. Um, the karma is what is propelling the, the life. So, but... So you come into a lifetime and you 
decide that, you know, you're going to deal with certain issues that you didn't finish dealing with before. You can supersede that karma through what through the law of grace. It's how you, it isn't what happens to you that matters, really. It is how you respond to it. And that's what supersedes karma. It's the way you respond to it. Um, and there's, you know, the whole school of thought about what is grace and, and how does that work with karma, but they're, they're hand in hand. Um, you do have free will. At any given point in time, you can make other decisions. It's not, you're still going to have to deal with the karma, but it's, it's your perspective on it. You know, it, um, I'm teaching an NE group right now through ARE on this very subject, and, you know, this woman kept using the word punishment, punishment, punishment. And I said, you know, that if you would change your perspective and look at it a little differently, uh, it is not, it's not punishment. It's not something, um, you know, that God isn't this, uh, uh, you know, uh, energy in the sky that's going, you know, uh, you did this and now you're going to suffer. So it's, it's really all about how are we facing what we're dealing with today, understanding why we're facing this, understanding the why of what's going on in our life, which is what study of past lives really does for you. It it uncovers behavior patterns that that you've brought back in into this life. Uh, Understanding all of that can move you through that a lot quicker than any kind of therapy that you're going to go to. I mean, people make tremendous strides after one or two sessions. It's not something that has to get dragged out for years and years and years, except if you're like me and you're doing research. So um, Mm -hmm. to, to me, that's the value. And I think that, you know, this is based on faith more than you can't see this. You, you often cannot prove this. So it, you know, it, as far as the scientific community is concerned, and, and those are proponents of past lives, I'm not sure that we're, I'm not sure we're ever going to meet. Uh, you know, and maybe in the middle, I don't know. Um, but um, but I do think that there's a, a tremendous value in this in this work. Um, and, and I know it because I can see the number of people who have been transformed by it, whose lives have been greatly changed through this understanding. Well, it's, it's definitely a different tact at a problem that a lot of people have tried approaches that didn't work either. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's psychotherapy or whether it's drugs or surgery or whatever you want to call it. I mean, how long ago was it when people were put into insane insane asylums because they had, you know, different beliefs? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, 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 it's remarkable. I like this notion of, of the law of grace. I think it's a beautiful concept. Mm-hmm. And by that you mean it's, it's, it's the, the graceful way to approach a problem or to it's it's the way you react to a circumstance in life right you may have been you may have been a very bigoted person in a previous lifetime and um you know you were bigoted toward a particular race let's say right in this lifetime well to say there's two people they both had the same identical the same bigotry issue and then they reincarnate they reincarnate in this in this lifetime as that race that they were bigoted against because mm. they're coming into the body to experience what it feels like to actually be that person, to be uh, in, in, you know, uh, someone that was that was hated uh, just simply because of their race. Yes. One person can become really angry and bitter and and 
resentful and want to fight their way out of it. The other person then can take it and say, well, I'm going to do some good with this now. I'm going to, I'm going to use this to my advantage and find a way of, of you know, helping other people. Yeah. So it's the same situation, but different perspectives, and that's what grace is. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great concept. I also think that there is a lot of value in what you were saying about if this is true, and I don't think we can rule it out, understanding sort of where you came from, the journey that your soul has taken, seems like a necessary part of putting your soul on the best path it can be on which is more of the healing the healing part of it it's it's really understanding who you are so that you can make yourself a better person going mm-hmm. forward now uh, we've come to the end here Joanne quickly and I'd like to thank you for this very fascinating uh, discussion about soul writing and I think one of the points I like to emphasize here is that when you view uh, the human uh, body as as spiritual in essence we start seeing worlds opening up we start not only giving more credit to things like past life regression and soul writing but we see ways that that these things are likely ha- likely have some truth to them and if that's the case we can only benefit from understanding them and exploring these principles with a open mind and and with a new and broader perspective now Joanne, why don't you uh, just tell folks how to get in touch with you and anything about your website and that sort of thing. Sure. Um, my website is joannedemaggio.com. It's J-O-A-N-N-E-D-I-M-A-G-G-I-O.com. And they could email me at joanne at com. Well, that's great. Well, thank you very much for your time for a really uh, readable um, book I, I on this topic pick up uh, Joanne's new book Your Soul Remembers where she has a lot of uh, accounts of experiences of past lives by some of her clients. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Merriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 